Chapter Twenty Four of the Apostle of Alaska: The Story of William Duncan of Metlakatla by John W. Arctander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schimpf. Interesting incidents. The Hymas of Duncan's time was sick. His brother Womagwat came after Mister Duncan. This was while he still resided at Fort Simpson. When he came near the house, he found out that a medicine man was in there, working upon him. The women outside tried to persuade him to go by, and not enter the house, as he would disturb the work, but he boldly entered at the front door. Hymas was wholly naked in a very cold room, and the medicine man was rattling away over him for dear life. When Mr. Duncan came up, the medicine man blew off steam and quit his work. Mr. Duncan took the man's pulse and found him in the midst of a severe chill. He saw that it was necessary to restore his circulation if he should not die then and there, and ordered him covered up quickly with many blankets and placed close by the fire. He then took the brother along with him to the fort and gave him some medicine for the sick man. Hymas recovered. Two or three years later, Hymas came with his people to Metlakatla from Victoria. Mr. Duncan heard that he had whiskey in his canoe, and sent for him, but as he was not a magistrate at the time, he could only give him a tongue-lashing. He abused him roundly for bringing firewater among his people and corrupting them, so that they would go back to their old savage state. He answered sullenly that he did not want to be a white man. He only wanted to be an Indian, and retain the customs and ways of the Indian. He was at the time dressed in a pea-jacket, if that is so mr duncan answered him promptly you should be consistent you should carry the blanket of an indian and not go around with a white man's good coat on your back this must have taunted him for with a violent movement he tore off the coat and threw it at mr duncan's feet saying that he wanted nothing belonging to the white men and that mr duncan could keep it with this he rushed out of the house an hour or so later his wife came in and it commenced to abuse her husband in every way hymas is such a big fool he has no sense at all he is a very foolish indian he don't know what he is doing i am very much ashamed of him you must forgive him what is it you want it was the coat she wanted mr duncan told her take it i don't want it it still lies where he threw it i have not touched it she picked it up triumphantly and went out evidently very well satisfied with the results of her diplomacy one day while mr duncan was on a visit in victoria an indian from the reservation near by had shot at a man standing close by the mast of a schooner just as it passed out of the harbor and while he missed the man the bullet had hit the mast the next day the chief of police met mr duncan on the street and told him about the incident and said that he did not know how to secure the arrest of the indian inasmuch as they did not even know his name as mr duncan told him that he thought he might help them in the matter the governor later in the day sent for him and asked his advice he unfolded a plan which afterwards was successfully carried out the next day at one thirty p m mr duncan was to go to the reservation gather the tsimsheans together find out from them who did the shooting and try to persuade the indians from taking the guilty man's part this he did and found that kushwat was the guilty party 
and that he was hidden in a hide house nearby the reader will perhaps remember cushwat as the indian who had volunteered to kick mr duncan's head on the beach the day legaic was going to make an attack on him in the schoolhouse also as the same man who had smashed the lock of the schoolhouse door and who had threatened to kill mr duncan mr duncan told the indians that cushwat had committed an outrage which the white men could not overlook but that they only wanted cushwat and would not harm any other indians if they did not interfere in the matter this was so much contrary to their idea of law and procedure that they seemed unwilling to believe it thinking that the government would be sure to take its vengeance on all of them mr duncan in order to satisfy them that they were wrong offered to stay among them as a pledge of good faith in this way he kept them apart behind a mound some distance from the house where cushwat was hidden when the smoke from the gunboat appeared the indians made a rush away from him but he called them back and when the red jackets came marching up there was another rush away but he called them back again and succeeded in quieting them the governor then asked him to call on the haidas to surrender the man but they refused after he had repeated their answer he by request returned to them and told them that the governor gave them just ten minutes in which to surrender the man if they did no harm would come to any one of them but if they did not the troops would charge on them and they would probably all be killed still no move he held his watch in his hand when there was one minute left he told them you had better produce him now if you don't i am afraid you will be sorry just as the time was up they brought cushwat out and turned him over to the military they were going to take him to jail when mr duncan protested to the governor and insisted that the man should be flogged publicly as the indians cared nothing for jail this was done and cushwat was thereupon committed to await his trial it seems that in those days of primitive justice even a governor and a magistrate did not consider it out of the way to punish a man first and try him afterwards it was perhaps the only safe course to take with the indians some days afterwards the jailer came and told mr duncan that there was an indian in jail who would like to see him he went in and found that it was cushwat he sat in his cell looking very dejected and gloomy when he saw mr duncan he said i was bad to you you pitied me you did not punish me pity me now save me if i do will you promise to be a better man i will if you will get me free you shall never find any fault with me pity me mr duncan went to the governor and pleaded for the poor fellow as he had not injured anybody the governor set him free on condition that mr duncan would vouch for his good behavior this he did cushwat went home right away in his canoe and when mr duncan a short time afterwards returned to metlakatla in the steamer cushwat at once reported to him and assured him of his complete allegiance after that day he became a good indian and was always loyal to mr duncan though he never moved away from fort simpson or became a christian he often attended public worship and seemed to be a very respectful hearer if not a doer of the word there is a sad story connected with the life of simeon johnson the man on the lower row farthest to the reader's right in the illustration on a nearby page mr duncan's pioneers he was a murderer it was discovered in this way 
when mr duncan had been but a few years at metlakahtla a man came very late one night to his house he asked him what he wanted as he was a little suspicious and never knew what moment some one might come to kill him i want to talk with you why do you come so late it is about a great secret all right come in then he told the man still watching him very closely after a while he confessed that he and two other indians had one day several moons ago away south met a canoe with two white men who had been good to them and given them biscuits at the command of sabasa a mighty chief of the kitrathlas who was one of the three they shot and killed the white men and took their effects one of the indians had since died and this one now feared the same fate he had heard mr duncan preach and knew now that he had done a great wrong and his friends with whom he had talked about it had advised him to come to mr duncan and tell him all what to do mr duncan did not know he advised the fellow to say nothing to any one about it till he heard from him he then wrote the attorney-general in victoria who advised that the matter be dropped as they could not convict inasmuch as there were no witnesses etc mr duncan thought it was too bad to take this course as it certainly would encourage the indians to kill more white people but he was obliged to let the matter rest some time later when the gold commissioner for the interior who was a magistrate came to metlakahtla for a visit mr duncan talked the matter over with him they agreed to act together and arrest the murderous chief mr duncan sent his constables after sabasa they performed their duty and brought him into court he was a haughty self-important fellow with two slaves supporting him one by each arm other slaves brought a feather bed into court for him to sit upon his wife also accompanied him into the hall of justice as did a number of his retainers when the charge was read to him he said he was not the only indian who had killed white men who are they he then related how four or five indians some years ago had killed five white men in a canoe eighty miles south of there and gave their names the court was adjourned warrants were issued for the other indians they were arrested and an examination was held over all of them they all fully confessed their murderous deeds simeon johnson was one of the last batch the magistrates committed them all for trial and sent them down to victoria when the time for the term of court came mr duncan was summoned to go down the attorney-general told him that he could not prosecute them for murder as he did not know the names of the murdered men and besides there was no evidence except their own confessions which were not sufficient to convict upon mr duncan said that is too bad if you let them go no white man's life will be safe among the indians they must get a healthy respect for the law and feel that their evil deeds will be punished if you do not prosecute and convict them you will have to be responsible for the consequences to all of us white men who live up there i could perhaps change the charge to piracy on the high seas with violence all right i do not care what the charge is if they are only punished one of the directors of the hudson's bay company who was anxious to curry favor with the indians told mr duncan that he would get them to plead not guilty and get them a lawyer and that if they did so they could not be convicted mr duncan tried to convince him of the moral wrong he would be guilty of if he did so but all to no purpose just before the court was to open mr duncan went into the jail to see the indians has any one seen you yes 
who one of the company men what did he say he said we should say we did not do it are you going to do that no we will tell the truth that's right that's the way to act you do that when you get into court and i will do the best i can for you when called into court mr duncan interpreted and explained the charge to them and asked them did you do this they all nodded hung their heads and said yes we did enter a plea of guilty said the judge sir matthew bigby whereupon he delivered a long speech to the indians which was interpreted by mr duncan and finally sentenced them to be hanged but said the judge many snows have fallen over our white brother's blood and your friend mr duncan tells me that you were ignorant and did not know what bad things you did so i will consult with the other white chiefs and see if they can make your punishment lighter he laid the matter before the lieutenant governor in council with the result that the sentence was commuted to imprisonment for life but on the condition that they should serve their term at metlakatla they were then by the court handed over to mr duncan with the understanding that they should live at metlakatla and have the freedom of the village limits as long as they behaved themselves but when not to be turned over by him to the proper authorities for life imprisonment he took them along simeon johnson and the man who came to mr duncan at night and confessed became good earnest christians and later on went along with him to new metlakatla sabasa in a way sought to be a better man but had considerable difficulty in conquering his haughty spirit when bishop ridley tried to get a foothold against mr duncan and drive him away from metlakatla this convicted murderer and the ticket of leave man was one of the chiefs whom he numbered among his few adherents sometimes it might of course be desirable to get some evil-minded or evil-doing man out of town mr duncan had a way of accomplishing this without violence which occasionally might prove dangerous and cause bloodshed in the centre of the village close to the mission house was after the first five years at metlakatla located a bastion an octagonal building the lower part whereof was used for a jail the upper part formed a balustrade and was provided with a tall flagstaff on which on festive occasions the english colours were hoisted when a bad man was desired to leave town mr duncan hoisted on this flagstaff a black flag showing that there was a public enemy in the camp the man who was offensive knew well enough who was meant usually the people knew it too if they did not mr duncan let a few trusted ones know who it was that was enough in a few moments public opinion was aroused as soon as they saw the flag the tongues commenced to wag if any one met the man he would look at him askance some one might say right to him you better get out of here we don't want you this was sufficient no one could resist the public and general scorn and abhorrence which the black flag indicated in one instance only was the black flag not sufficient to drive a devil out of town he was a chief who had just succeeded to his rank upon the death of his old uncle Neyash Lakanush, the old head chief of the kitlans and now was anxious to show what he could do perhaps in order to do justice to the old adage that new brooms sweep clean there were forty or fifty of his tribe at metlakatla he was a surly disgruntled fellow 
one saturday night he called a secret meeting of the members of his tribe at which he railed about how their old time-honoured customs were being abolished their old proud memories disgraced and their warlike and brave family traits eradicated and then exhorted them to go back to the old feasts joys and pleasures no one said anything not a single man expressed disapproval of what he had said mr duncan learned of the meeting sunday morning this looked very much like mutiny heroic measures were evidently required and that at once he made up his mind that he must have that chief out of town before service or no one could tell where it might end so he hoisted the black flag at once oh what a talk it started who can it be he called two constables and told them to go at once and tell the chief to take his canoe and get out of there before eleven o'clock the black flag was not sufficient in this case it meant there was no one with you you are our enemy we are all down on you this man had an idea that so long as no disapproval was voiced at the meeting he was backed by a certain element in the town that public opinion was not against him the black flag did not tell the truth as to him he therefore refused to go mr duncan now stepped out in front of his cottage with his revolver in his hand he stood where the man could plainly see him and told the constables go over and tell him from me that in ten minutes by the watch his canoe is to be hauled down and he on his way out if not i will meet him face to face and one of us perhaps both will die inside of five minutes the chief's belongings were brought down to the beach his canoe pushed off and he went on his way the black flag came down nothing was said by mr duncan about the affair that day on monday he sent for all the men who had been present at the chief's meeting and gave them a straight talk i hear you have been at the meeting of the new chief of your tribe and that he talked bad and that none of you showed any disapproval of what was said now i want to know what impression this talk made upon you if you want to go you are at liberty to do so you are also welcome to stay but one thing i want you to know i want no one who is dissatisfied here therefore speak out plainly there will be no ill feeling about it all i want is a clear understanding one of them an old man arose and said it is true we were at the meeting all of us we heard what naosh lakanush said it made no impression on us he is gone that is well we do not want to go away not one of us several got up and expressed the same sentiments that was the end of that meeting and of the incipient mutiny naosh lakanush came back a year later promised to behave himself and was allowed to live at metlakatla what i am now going to relate happened at a later day but it comes properly under interesting incidents the sawmill at old metlakatla being quite a distance from the store a telephone line was installed between the two places this was many years ago when telephones were still in their infancy and when the same instrument did service as a receiver and transmitter one could not hear and speak at the same time but had to put the instrument to the mouth and speak then lift it to the ear to catch the answer an old indian thought that mr duncan had made a mistake in putting up such an arrangement as in his opinion he ought to have something that could speak the tsimshian language it may perhaps talk english he said but i am sure it cannot talk tsimshian 
just remember how long it took you to learn our language you only put that thing up a few days ago how can you expect it to have learned tsimshean so soon i want you to try it said mr duncan who took hold of the transmitter and said to john tate who was at the other end of the line leam lahaga is here i want you to say something funny to him over the phone he then handed the instrument to the indian who took hold of it as if he was afraid of it but finally managed to put it to his ear then he suddenly dropped the receiver indeed it can talk tsimshean and it can talk nonsense too he said and fled End of chapter 24